Hi, and welcome to season four of the Diversity Beyond the Checkbox podcast, sponsored by the Diversity Movement. I'm your host, Jackie Ferguson, equality advocate and certified diversity executive. On this show, we discuss how diversity, equity, and inclusion benefit our workplaces, schools, and communities by sharing the stories, insights, and best practices of game changers, leaders, and glass ceiling breakers that are doing the work to make our world a more understanding, welcoming, and supportive place for us all. I'm joined today by my colleague at the Diversity Movement and friend, Dr. Bob Batchelor. Bob is a critically acclaimed, best-selling cultural historian and biographer. Bob, thank you so much for joining me today. Will you tell our listeners just a little about yourself? Yeah, thank you for having me, Jackie. I'm I'm so excited as a longtime listener and your friend to be on the podcast to talk about such great topics. I see myself as a cultural historian, and what that means is that unlike somebody who studies something very slim throughout history, but studies it very deeply, I instead look at issues that affect broad ranges of society and try to bring in cultural influences from music and television and film into history to show a more human type of history. And my sports writing goes back to high school when I was the first person in my high school's history to have their own sports column, which was called Bachelor's Bench. (laughs) I love that. Uh, I kept writing sports because in my younger years, I was was an athlete, which, you know, listeners and, and now viewers may see not so much anymore. But back in the day, as we all like to say, but I've right. written several books on basketball um, and other sports. And I edited an anthology that was uh, over a million words that was the history of sports in the United States from wow. colonial times through the 21st century. And so I kind of corralled 60 or 70 different authors to look at those across all sports and fringe sports. So quite a deep background in sports and cultural history. And I will just let everybody know my favorite Olympic moment, the dream team. Mm. Oh, that first dream team. I I just got, I just got goosebumps (laughs) just thinking of Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson on the same court on the same team. Absolutely. That was that was a cool moment, a cool moment. Well, Bob, the Olympic Games in Tokyo starts next Friday, the 23rd. And I don't know about you listeners, but Bob and I have been following some of the stories uh, leading up to these events. But before we get into some of the current events, let's just talk about the Olympics. And Bob, you started us off by talking about the dream team. Are you more of a summer Olympics guy, a winter Olympics fan? Well, obviously, I've kind of given that scoop away. I, I like <laughs> I like the basketball a lot just because I played. I feel I have an affinity toward basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to watch the Winter Olympics. Okay. But I probably feel closer to the Summer Olympics. Yeah. I really like actually to watch track. Yeah. As a lot of people don't. I don't like just to watch the sprints. Like the 800 and the 1600 are my favorite. I like to watch the marathon because... I think what the human body can do, mm-hmm. those marathoners are off the charts. Yeah, and, for sure. And just to imagine, I'm at the point in my life where I don't run unless somebody's chasing me with a sharp <laughs> object. Exactly. And so 
<laughs> to run that's right sprint 20 i mean i couldn't sprint that fast for 10 seconds oh. let alone uh 26.2 miles yeah. so i i really do enjoy the olympics probably i like the summer olympics a little better but in the winter it's you know a, another great moment is you know, i'm dating myself here but i kind of first imagined the olympics when eric hyden won all those speed skating mm. events and yeah. he was kind of america's darling Back before the Olympics, I mean, it was big, but not that, not yeah. as big. And those are some of my first, I remember the 1980 hockey wins. So I really enjoy the Olympics. Well, how about you? What are That's you looking awesome. forward to? So I, I love the the figure skating in the Winter Olympics, but I'm definitely a Summer Olympics person. I love the gymnastics. I love the track and field. I watch a little bit of the swimming. But the gymnastics and the track and field are, are big events for me to watch. And one of the reasons is because my daughter ran track for um, the North Carolina. She was on the North Carolina state championship team two years in a row. And it would have been a third except for, you know, COVID. Wow. And, um, you know, so I know, like, how much pressure it is and, and how much it takes to prepare even at the state level, let alone at the national level, the Olympic level. It's, it's a lot of preparation and, and I just really respect that. Well, Bob, let's get into some of these controversies of the current Olympics. So let's start, of course, with who everyone's talking about right now, Shikari Richardson. So Shikari ran in 10.86 in the 100 meters for the uh, trials in June. Everybody was like super excited about her. She she has a different look, right? She's got these long nails like Flo Jo used to have and, you know, the colored hair and it's cool. Like she's a, a really cool, talented athlete. And then as we all know, we all were devastated, right? Because we were so excited about seeing her run, but she received an Olympic suspension for testing positive for THC. And that disqualified her from her signature event, which is the 100 meters. She did come forward with, you know, an apology and, and an explanation, which is, you know, her mother recently passed away and she was using it as a coping mechanism, which, you know, I understand she's disqualified from her event. And, you know, again, it's, it's tragic, right, for those of us who were looking forward to watching her. But. She was also disqualified from competing in the 4 by 100 which occurs, she got a 30-day suspension. That occurs after the 30 days. So they're not letting her run in the 4 by one And so what are your thoughts about that, Bob? And, and you know, I, I think they need to let her run in the 4 by one Yeah, we could spend the rest of the time just unpacking this one. But, you know, to hit the highlights, I mean, here's this 21-year-old, and she's an overnight sensation yeah. set for superstardom. Absolutely. I mean, you know, just an amazing athlete. Doing this with that pain and suffering of her Earth mother passing away, and it seemed to me, you know, if we put on our PR hats, our communications hats, she made the right steps. She came out yeah. the next day and, quote, I am human. She mm -hmm. goes on the Today Show. And publicly apologizes. And that's, those are important steps that show maturity. That's right. So on one hand, you look, a 21-year-old, by any survey, any study that's done scientifically, 21-year-old brain is 99% of the time not fully developed. Mm. So to think that her, her life, really, 
a major part of her life is being taken away from her for doing something that's legal in the state that she resides. That's right. That's right. That is, that's criminal in and of itself. Exactly. That's true, Bob, because she was in Oregon. It's legal, right? So I'm just like the, the four by one for me, like she needs to compete in the four by one. I was really disappointed. I know that they were looking to make that decision and we were waiting on that, but you know, certainly do your time as they say, but there's no reason to keep her out of that, that four by one. Yeah. And we look at, uh, I looked it up yesterday, 18 states allow recreational marijuana use, 36 states, uh, medical use. Yeah. This is a major problem. And if you look at it historically, so what, that's what I do as a yes, cultural historian, right. <laughs> we have been dealing with this back well before prohibition. Mm -hmm. And we still deal with these issues today yeah. with prohibition and into the 1920s, the, the outlawing of alcohol just led to all kinds of bad things. Yeah. And it gave people a lawlessness in their lives that we've never really moved away from. And so you have different political ideologies who use these things as like a ping pong or a, a sticking point every single time. And, and so we still, here in North Carolina, You've got to go to a state store to buy alcohol and the, the taxes are high. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, where, where I live in Cincinnati, we, we travel to Kentucky all the time and the Distillers Association has a heavy lobby group. They have to. And there were billions of dollars on the line when the Trump administration was unable to cut deals with China. There, there's a lot of challenges and marijuana use is right in there. Mm -hmm. And Let's just put it out there. I have a friend who's maybe tried marijuana before, <laughs> know some people. Right, right. There That's is right. no way that you could tell me that marijuana usage is going to help That's right. a world-class <laughs> athlete who runs a, a 10, 8, 6, yeah. That's right. That's going to help her in yeah. any way, shape, or form. So if that's the case... And they extend this regulation so yeah. that they don't even let her run the relay. Sometimes if it quacks like a duck and it looks like a duck, it's a duck. And this duck is racism. Mm. This is racist because they want her to be this role. And it's okay. Athletes, are, it's such a strange thing. You have to fit into a box mm -hmm. if you're a black athlete. Mm. And they kind of want to slip her into like she's edgy, but maybe like a Dennis Rodman-ish kind of thing. Like before he really went out, like when right. he was with the Bulls <laughs> and he could be crazy and have the multicolored hair. Right. And, and she has, you know, multicolored hair, tattoos. Mm -hmm. So on one, on one hand, she's on the cutting edge of like, she looks like other 21-year-olds yeah, I know. Yeah, that's right. But on the other hand, conventional white America mm -hmm. is going to watch her really closely. That's right. That's the truth of the matter. Mm -hmm. That's right. And let's talk about, you know, a little more, dig into the bias a little bit. So a lot of people are comparing her with Michael Phelps, who was the Olympic swimmer that got a three-month suspension for um, the photo of him having a, a marijuana pipe in his mouth. So the timing there was lucky for Phelps, right? Because it, the suspension occurred between the 2008 Olympics and the 2009 uh, World Championships. 
but he competed in the world championships after that three-month suspension. So if Shikari got a 30-day suspension, why is she not able to compete in the four-by-one? Yeah. And just, again, um, it just looks suspicious. Right. And you have to think, if the Swimming Association would have tried to prevent Phelps from competing, can you imagine the, the uproar. Yeah. I mean, all of America would have been set afire. I mean, Twitter would have blown up mm-hmm. because Phelps is is the great white hope and this great and the golden look, boy yeah. deserves everything. You know, worked worked his tail off mm-hmm. his whole life and and seemingly has paid some existential or or price for that. If if you see what he's been doing since then. He's done good things with his platform since, That's certainly true. about neurodiversity and mm-hmm. mental health. So yeah. no disrespect to Michael Phelps. Right. But this case, come on. It, you know, if you want to be by the, the, the rule of the law, then don't let her compete in one, but don't kick her off the team. That's don't right. no, Don't disallow her from going. Give her that event. That's right. Totally You'll agree. only get it. It's you usually only once every four years. I mean, she can go on to be champion. What I thought about this as well, a 21-year-old. So what kind of, you know, what kind of standard do we hold a 21-year-old to? And you, you look at some of the things people say. I, thought, I like to think, so what's the aftermath of this? Mm-hmm. You have Usain Bolt coming out saying he hopes that she'll learn from this, but rules are rules. Mm-hmm. And Usain Bolt has obviously benefited from the track establishment. Sure. So he's not going to venture too far out from mm-hmm. this. But if you compare the kind of money she could have made in endorsements, Jackie Joyner Kersey has made $2 million annually for the last three decades. Wow. Off endorsements. So she certainly lost at least two to three million dollars in endorsements. And some vape company offered her a quarter of a million to become a a sponsor, Mm. which is just, you know, piling on the news. Right. And and maybe she'll take it because she potentially could have lost out on $10 million. Yeah. You know, that's right. companies are looking for interesting black spokespeople. Mm-hmm. And so she stood, you win a wing, Olympic gold medal in the hundred. She might've set a world record. Who knows? That's right. The, the world would have been her oyster. Mm-hmm. And as, as a 21 year old, this changes her life. And all because she did something that is legal you know, she drove the 55 mile an hour speed limit in her state, mm-hmm. but still got thrown in jail. Yeah. Well, Bob, let's move on. We talked about Michael Phelps a little bit. Let's move on to swimming, right? Okay. So the International Swimming Federation, which is known as FINA, rejected an application to certify products from Soul Cap, which is a black owned swim cap brand for competition swimming. And I'm going to read this piece. The FINA committee said it would not permit the swim caps because given the group's FINA's, right, best knowledge, competing athletes never used, neither required to use caps of such size and configuration. So (laughs) basically because, you know, we didn't have a black athlete competing in swimming competitions until 2004. So FINA, right, are primarily right, not black, right? We can assume yes, that. Yes, yes. <laughs> and because they've never needed them before, 
why do they need them now is the explanation. Because yeah. you've got two black women on on the team this year, you know, which again, we didn't have our first black female athlete to swim until 2004. So this right here is why we need representation, not only among the athletes, but in the rooms where the decisions are made. Because this here is is just outright bias and not now the the ruling is under review, right? Thanks to all the backlash. But why do we have to be in an uproar in order for a sport to be inclusive? Yeah, this one is is tough because it harkens us immediately back to one of the worst stereotypes mm-hmm. and, you know, countless jokes about blacks and water. Mm-hmm. And it is right. heartbreaking mm-hmm. that this has become it's one of those stereotypes that's almost become factual when you look at the actual facts about black children dying and, mm-hmm. and black young adults. You know, the Soul Cap founders founded this company because they themselves could not swim. And so they put money into swim education. Mm-hmm. And this is, is about empowerment. And so let's attempt to take that awful stereotype off the table and flip it. And again, there, there's nobody making decisions that has the qualification. This is like me, you know, your car breaks down and you pull over and you ask me about the engine just because right. I'm a man. I'm right. like, I have no clue. Right. <laughs> you know, you, sorry, you found the wrong guy. Right, right, That's right. what these swim officials are doing. That's right. They have no clue. And, you know, the thing that's frustrating, Bob, is, you know, they say in this sport and a lot of sports that are historically, you know, white, that they want to be inclusive. They want representation. They want to attract, you know, culturally diverse swimmers that want to compete at all levels. Right. But this is a prime example of of not being able to walk the walk. They're talking the talk, but not walking the walk. And not having someone in the room or several people in the room that can properly evaluate if this swim cap is, you know, reasonable and just making this statement, no, we're not going to allow it without having conversations, without talking to people, without bringing culturally diverse people in the room. That's, that's a problem. And that's not just a problem here. That's a problem with lots of organizations and how they make decisions and how they message people without having people in the room who represent the the market that they're they're messaging. Yeah, and it's you know, I can tell you as a white guy who grew up in poor royal community but but kind of hopefully overcame my my status through education, I hate the band-aid approach that's going on now. Mm-hmm. I mean, since George Floyd's murder and Breonna Taylor and all these positives that have come out of these horrific incidences the the fact that that these companies just try to band-aid it over mm-hmm. you know it, it's what your podcast is all about beyond the checkbox because so many organizations are just checking it off mm-hmm. and it's actually offensive to me just as i like offensive to me as a thinking person mm-hmm. a person who has something between their ears yeah. like be truthful with me yeah be truthful. Now, there are companies, on the other hand, who are doing the right thing, like mm-hmm. investing in HBCUs, mm-hmm. 
actually trying to help people, trying to, to overcome. But so much of it is a, is a Band-Aid. It's a quick fix. I don't know what FINA is going to do here. Supposedly, they're, they're going to relook at this. But it's, mm-hmm. it's too late for this Olympics. Mm-hmm. And there is a longer-term impact because when you look at the statistics, blacks from age 5 to 24 are exponentially more in danger of drowning mm-hmm. than uh, their peer groups. That's right. Well, less than half of black children, Bob, can swim. You're a cultural historian, so let's dig into this a little bit. You know, it's going back to the exclusion of black people in, you know, allowed in the swimming pools. Yeah. In right? fact, even, you know, well past when Jim Crow shouldn't have been taking place. I mean, because you and I both know we've been in the North enough to know right. there are towns that might as well have been in, you know, Jim Crow, Alabama that are in <laughs> yeah. the North. Blacks in the 1900s into the, in, in probably into the 60s were, were barred from, from swimming, mm-hmm. public swimming pools. So not only is it that children today don't get swim education, mm-hmm. but they're never taught because their parents don't know how to that's swim. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Because that's how we learn, right? Our parents teach us how to swim. Yep. But if your parents don't know how to swim because their parents didn't know how to swim because their parents weren't allowed in the pools, mm-hmm. that's why we have that issue. And, and this is just an example of how systemic inequities affect people generation by generation. Yeah. Uh, I looked at a USA swimming statistic. And the latest statistics were from 2019. Only 1.4% of year-round swimmers, so that would be mainly competitive swimmers, yeah. were black. And only 3.5% Hispanic. And it was primarily lack of access to a pool. Mm-hmm. You know, so when black kids are dying or teenagers are dying in drowning incidences, it's usually in places where there aren't lifeguards. Mm -hmm. So in some areas, there aren't lifeguards in the public pools, even in hotels, this is happening. That's right, yeah. And so black kids want to jump in the water too. I mean, you're, you're basically, you're holding their head under the water if you don't create a system in which that education is universal. Absolutely. Or at least much more widespread than it is now. Absolutely. Bob, let's talk a little about Gwen Berry. So Gwen Berry placed third in the hammer throw. Because she was on the podium, they played the anthem, and she turned away from the flag at the U.S. track and field trials. Um, She put a T-shirt over her head that said activist athlete, and she is protesting systemic racism. So there's been a lot of controversy around protesting in sports, right? Olympic protesting started with, against racial inequities, started with Tommy Smith and John Carlos at the 1968 Olympics. So we all remember that picture. We've seen that picture with the raised fists and the black gloves. And But you know, just a, a, an aside, Peter Norman, who was also in that photo, right, the, the lone white guy in the photo that nobody pays attention to, actually was an Australian sprinter that had a badge um, that said Olympic Project for Human Rights. And that was an organization that opposed racism in sports. So, you know, we all know that 
uh, Tommy Smith and John Carlos were banned from the Olympics for life, but it effectively ended Peter Norman's career as well. So that that's an interesting aside on, you know, how racism has been protested in the Olympics. But Tommy Smith was quoted by the Washington Post in saying that he expects to see protests in the 2021 Olympics, even though the International Olympic Committee describes Rule 50 as a framework to protect neutrality in sports in the Olympic Games. So, you know, some people are calling for a, a ban for Gwen for, from competing um, because of what she did in the trials. And she's unsure, she's done some interviews, unsure if she'll, she'll protest during the Olympics. What do you think about that? You know, do you think she's going to protest? What do you think about protesting in the Olympics against systemic racism? Well, I think, you know, hearkening back to my my favorite moment, the dream team, Mm -hmm. it was pretty pathetic that, you know, Jordan takes, uses his global fame to protest capitalism, you know, or not his form of capitalism. (laughs) Yeah. So I would say, you know, in comparison, the way the NBA players reacted to uh, George Floyd's murder and the other police violence in the United States uh, is a healthy way to, to react. And the Olympics, they're professional athletes. Mm-hmm. They're grown, many of them are grown adults. Many of them are multimillionaires. How are you going to stop them? The Olympic Games can't, it's not Mount Olympus. This isn't ancient right. Greece. <laughs> like we're in a different, we're in a different world. That's right, that's right. And you can, in fact, you know, I love when people say, you know, if you don't love the country, leave. It's, mm. this, it's the stupidest thing that somebody could say. Right. If you love the country, mm-hmm. do what is within your power to make it a better place. That's right. Think first as a human being. You know, I don't need to look down and see I'm, I'm white. So here's the list of things I can do as a white person or think. I can think as a compassionate, ethical human being. Yeah. And I think with, with Gwen Berry, she has every right to do this. She said, the anthem doesn't speak for me. It never has. And she is entitled to that. That's nothing more than what the founders were saying when they said, this British tax does not speak for me and it never has. This, this crown does not speak for me. What's the difference? It's the same, yeah. it's the same thing. But what makes it different? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Let's see. The also the second, you know, putting on our PR and marketing hats again. This is the first controversy that we've discussed that was really blown up big, big, big Mm -hmm. by the Twitter rage, Mm -hmm. you know, and it like Dave Chappelle says, Twitter is like the writing on the bathroom wall. Yeah. And it's Twitter and it's the intense partisanship that we live in now that really took this from, you know, it's a bit of a story, an athlete being controversial, bit of a story, but Twitter and other social media made it huge. Mm -hmm. So then the media, which no longer creates stories, they just jump on and and pile drive stories. They make this uh, a bigger thing than it is. Gwen Berry says, my purpose and mission is bigger than sports. Mm. 
And what better thing for an athlete to do? To me, this is the controversy around this is just a facet and an outcome of a really ridiculously divisive uh, political game that we're we're in right now. Sadly, it's hurting our nation. And if we're still around in 500 years, the historians, guys like me, 500 years from now, and, and smart people like us, they will be they will be saying, "What in the hell?" was going on back then because those people had their heads in the sand. Yeah. I mean, we're getting closer to the sun every day and, mm-hmm. and we're worrying about, you know, somebody protesting, uh, yeah. you know, that's the star spangled banner. You know, that's, that's so true, Bob. And, and the reason why we, we need to talk about these things is because, you know, we all see through our, our lens of experience, right? We don't really, as we're going through, life on our personal journey don't really understand or or take time to see the differences in in people and their experiences you know calling attention to to these inequities is important so that people realize well you know we've got some work to do you know i've got some some allyship to to administer right and and participate in because it's it's important you know we've we've got to call attention to things that we need to see changed and bob as we start to to wrap up i, I definitely want to talk about Allison Felix so not from a racial perspective but from a women having children perspective right so Allison Felix as as we know is an incredible track athlete she departed her deal with Nike in 2019 after the company said that they were going to reduce her pay by 70% after her pregnancy. Nike has since announced a maternity policy for athletes and other companies have followed suit. But she's now working with Athleta, which is, which is great. And she's been uh, invested in raising awareness around healthcare inequities facing black mothers. But let's talk about Allison Felix. I'm really excited to see her run. And I just think it's terrible that women can't make motherhood part of their journey and expect to have, you know, be able to keep their deals. Yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think this is um, a horrific situation. And, you know, it's too bad there wasn't a way in which Nike could be penalized for this. I, I think if we asked, if we just st- stopped 10 people on the street, nine of them would have some story about a, a, a working mom yeah. who got laid off and then got a severance package so she wouldn't complain, you know, things like this. It, the corporate world is rife with this yeah. and the, the unfairness. And I grew up with a single mom, and so I know the struggles of what that's like. Mm-hmm. And Allison Felix is the most decorated female Olympic track star. So we bring our buddy Michael Phelps back into the picture. Would Michael Phelps, you know, he he was given this little suspension. Mm -hmm. She is actually has money taken out of her, out of her income, you know, her life. And the problem is Nike's not the only game in town, but they're the dominant player. Mm -hmm. And so they really dictate her future. That's right. And to do that, uh, she should have hired great lawyers and just gone after them. I mean, 
it, it is good to see that she has rebounded. I mean, and it was emergency C-section. Could you imagine? Yeah. Right. Imagine Michael Phelps broke his leg mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, couldn't compete or something. You know, his, his, his sponsors would bring in every specialist from around the world. He'd yeah. get cutting edge treatments. Mm-hmm. She has an emergency C-section and she said after this that she felt disrespected by Nike. Yeah. She was disrespected by Nike. That's right. Now, you, you could argue Nike has done a lot of good things for a lot of communities. Sure. But not in this case. Right. I mean, let's just, let's look at this case. The, the scales of justice are not in Nike's favor. And yeah. so it is wonderful. I agree with you completely. The seeing Allison Felix rise above this, given her, I mean, 13 world championship gold medals, the most ever of any athlete. Yeah. Nike should hold her up. That's they should right. make a, there should be a, an Allison Felix trophy that they give out to great, <laughs> great women yeah, athletes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is just some, this is why sports and th- this, these things we've been talking about, it's just always so confrontational and controversial because white America holds its black heroes up on a pedestal mm-hmm. until they slip an inch. Yeah. And then the crash is hard. Sometimes there's retribution. Sometimes there's rebirth. But a lot of times it's just that person's gone and you wait for the next one. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's, a, it's a sad state of how people actually feel about race in this country. Yeah. yeah. Bob, as we start to close uh, our time, what events are you planning to tune in for for these Olympics? Uh, well, you know, I forgot to mention in my intro that I just completed my first month as the director of business intelligence and content strategy at the diversity movement. Yes. And you, one could argue that my, my bosses have me working so hard that I may <laughs> not be able to tune into the Olympics at all, <laughs> but I will definitely be watching many of the track events. I'll probably tune in to, to a bit of the marathon, some of the basketball. Yeah. I, I like it less now. I, I like the dream team, but it's not the same as it's that not first the same. one. <laughs> you know, and, and for basketball players who grew up when I did mm-hmm. or earlier, you you couldn't carry the ball when you dribbled. So it was really a skill to be able to dribble. Yeah. Now they've changed the rules mm-hmm. where you can basically carry the, the ball. So mm-hmm. everybody is a good dribbler right. <laughs> because it takes less skill. Yeah. Your right. hand, I mean, your most pro- professionals' hands are as big as the ball. Yeah. So it's very easy. And it, to me, it takes all the fun out of basketball. So I may not even watch that much basketball. But those <laughs> runners, though, yeah. that's impressive. So Absolutely. lots of running, probably some swimming. I'm super excited because for the first time, black women in sports are set to really own the narrative at the Tokyo Olympics. And I'm excited about Simone Biles, Simone Manuel, who's one of the, the swimmers, Naomi Osaka, even though she's repping you know, Japan. Um, Gabby Thomas and, and of course Allison Felix. So I'm I'm pretty excited about a few sports uh, this year. I will make the one. Uh, you know, I am a, a middle aged white guy, so I will be interested <laughs> in watching golf. I, I yeah, do. yeah. I did, can't play golf anymore because my back's so bad, but I dream about it. And <laughs> and the Olympic golf tournament is so pressure filled, yeah. and such a different way for those guys to play uh, golf that. It, it makes it more interesting to watch. Yeah, the, the, There's more pressure. And when, when right. the pressure is upped, it's just interesting to see how all the Olympic athletes respond. Absolutely. 
and I'll watch the opening game, you know, the sure. opening ceremony. And Those stuff are always too. fun. That's always interesting. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks everyone for listening to this live episode of Diversity Beyond the Checkbox. This was a fun episode to do with Dr. Bob Batchelor. Bob, thanks for hanging out with me this morning. And I know we've touched on some super controversial things and you may agree with some of what we said and some of, you know, disagree with some of what we said. That's okay. Conversations and sometimes uncomfortable conversations, um, controversial conversations are okay. It's all part of the process. But Bob, thank you again so much for for hanging out with me today. Sure thing. Yeah. You can find us at uh, thediversitymovement.com or on LinkedIn or learn more about Bob at bobbachelor.com and that's bachelor with a T. Uh, If you enjoyed this podcast, look for my other episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you really enjoyed it, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google. Thanks again for listening. We appreciate it.